0: Most folks have heard of Moses. Most of us could recount something of the parting of the Red Sea and how he led his people through on dry land. I bet plenty of folks here could name off a few of the plagues that lay the groundwork for that exodus. The roaring locusts and the frogs hopping every which way. Maybe the nasty boils that preceded the wild escape. Backing further up, we might even recall that Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. But what about before all that? What if we try to go even further back? For most of us, the story gets hazy. Friends, meet Shipra and Pua. It is astonishing that we know their names. So much of the time, women's names are long lost in scripture, even when they are critical to the story, but not here. We would do well to learn them, Shipra and Pua. These midwives are bold. And courageous and tender and clever consider the scene the king of Egypt is spiraling out of control he feels threatened he's pacing and flailing worried that he won't be able to hold on to his power much longer as the Hebrew people settle more deeply into this land There are more and more of them, and no matter how awful he is to them, it doesn't seem to dampen their spirits or break their resolve. He becomes ruthless, trying to stop them right from the beginning, hatching this plan to force the midwives to kill the baby boys as soon as they are born. It's obviously a horrific order, And yet, coming from such a powerful place, I can imagine Shipra and Pua huddled together in the evening, talking it through in hushed voices, wondering what choice they have. He's already enslaved their people, ground them into the dust with his oppressive ways. He's now turning more lethal, Surely Shipra and Pua fear he'll turn on them next if they don't follow his command. And yet, they refuse to take part in his evil plot. They find another way. As it comes to us in English, our scripture is once again focused on fear. We can imagine they are terrified of the king, and rightfully so. But they, they insist on saving these baby boys, and as they do so, we hear that Shipra and Pua do this because they fear God. The story is presented as if they are wedged between a rock and a hard place, forced to choose between being punished by the king or punished by God. And what kind of a choice is that, really? Our translation is making it difficult to see the goodness that is there. It could well be that these women are afraid of God, that they are worried about the cosmic fallout of their actions. But going deeper into the Hebrew, there is so much nuance. This verb that comes to us as fear is also more than that. It has to do with standing in awe of something tremendous. It's a word that highlights how these women look for and see the sacred, how they hold on to it, how they revere the holy. It has to do with being astonished their breath taken away, the resounding awe inspiring them to respond to God. So yes, they may be trembling, just as we do when we're terrified. But as they consider the choices before them, consider the children before them, they see God and filled With awe, they thwart the king. Throwing up their hands, they they play dumb while celebrating their sisters. They tell him that the Hebrew women are just too strong, too fast. There is nothing to be done. Shipra and Pua are clever and insistent, and they creatively dodge his wrath. Surely this is a conscious choice for them. They must feel both emotions. They must fear the king and what he will do to them. And they also stand awestruck in the face of God, in the face of all that is holy and good. Both are present, the fear and the awe, and both are powerful. And Shipra and Pua choose to run with the awe. They choose what is sacred, what is full of life, what inspires new life. And this, friends, this is the beginning of liberation. This courage begins the cycle that saves Moses, that allows him to survive and grow up and lead them all to freedom. The beginning of liberation for a whole people is rooted in Shipra and Pua, following this awe how beautiful and how deeply challenging it is to actually live this way because the king in so many forms is real even today the threats are real the risks are real The consequences are real when we rise up against the broken ways of the world. I recently stumbled across a group of people doing just this, close to home, right now. It's called the Homecoming Project, and it is as simple as it is awe-inspiring. At its root, the Homecoming Project is made up of normal, kind people, people who believe that we all belong to each other and that we all need second chances. Sounds straightforward, right? Here's where it gets more challenging. They keep asserting this belief with people who our world tries to forget and hide away and mostly ignore. The project connects people who have served time in prison and are being released together with people ready to provide their homes as a steady place, a kind of homestay where someone can get back on their feet and re-enter society. In so many ways, the odds are stacked against folks when they leave prison. It can be hard to get a job, and before they do that they need a place to live which can also be really hard when you've got a record these folks help to bridge that gap people in alameda and contra costa counties people like you and me they agree to rent out a bedroom and they are matched with a participant who needs a stable home The project walks with the pair, they offer wraparound services to help participants gain the skills and support they need to make a new life for themselves. These matches usually last about six months, long enough to connect, to build real relationships, and then to move on to the next step. The folks leading the homecoming project understand that people are probably uneasy at the thought of welcoming a recently incarcerated person into their home. They get it. And they also understand, as they put it, that these are not the same people who went to prison 20 years ago, and that they deserve a second chance. Just a few weeks ago, they celebrated a remarkable milestone their 100th participant, Felipe, moved into Sir Vaughn and Scott Patterson's house in Oakland. Thinking about when they first met, Scott said this of Felipe, His gratitude to be out of prison is palpable, and he is also young enough to where he can turn his life around. It's the sort of thing that fills me with awe, because it's true. He can turn his life around. And through this homestay, he most likely will. The Homecoming Project is right to be proud of their track record. To date, every participant has finished the six-month program with stable housing of their own and 95% leave with a job or enrolled in job training or an educational program and none None have returned to prison. The world continually tells us that people are disposable, just as the king declared. The world tells us to write them off by saying that their circumstances are their own fault, and therefore not our problem. These are the stories we hear again and again. The Homecoming Project counters that, yes, stepping up as a host is sometimes a little scary, and coming together is beautiful and holy and filled with the promise of new life for all involved. The participants and hosts together remind us that we belong to each other. These folks here, they are our modern midwives, our shifras and Pua's. They are showing us how we can choose to live from a place of awe instead of fear. We can go back to the beginning to find the way forward, back before the story we've heard so many times and find a deeper story one filled with courage and creativity, one that charts a way forward that is not just good for the few, but one that works for the liberation of all people. Our world still needs this faithful response. The broken systems and hurting people still cry out for it. We can look for the Shipras and Puas who are leading now, and we can follow them. They show us how we can open ourselves to awe and then choose that, the way of life.